I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10 just for a moment, and we'll continue on our study that we're currently involved in called Living by Faith. Living by Faith. It's the Bible way, the God way for us to live on this earth. Living by faith. There is no other acceptable way. Hebrews 10, 38, it says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And then the writer goes on to say, But we are not of those who draw back to perdition or destruction, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. So it's quite clear in that verse that faith is the way we are saved. Faith is the way we live. Faith leads to life. As Peter wrote in his epistle in the first chapter of 1 Peter, we receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. So there is no time in your Christian walk that you can lay aside your faith. There is no time in your Christian walk that it's not important or necessary or vital. It is the way we live, and it's a privilege to live this way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. The other verse we alluded to is Numbers 23:19. If there was a faith-building verse in the Old Testament, this one is it. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is he the son of man that he should repent. If he has said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. On the basis of that, a man ought to trust God. Because faith is simply taking God at his word. If he said he'll do it, then he'll do it. And all your faith does is count on him to do what he said. Because he tells you in the word what you can count on. And faith comes by hearing, as I said, and hearing by the word. You don't just think of things to believe for. God shows you what you can have and what you can believe. Nearly 8,000 promises in the scripture. They're ours. They belong to us. They are for us. The receiving of them glorifies God. That's why he gave them to us. Now, we've said this so far about living by faith. First of all, the purpose of faith or the whole idea about faith is to locate a promise and to make that promise yours. Faith, again, comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If God said something in the Bible, this is what you do. This is what you can live by. This belongs to you. If you want to receive something from the Lord, find the promise first. What did he say? Do you believe he meant that? Do you believe he meant that for you? Do you believe that God is reliable and trustworthy that you can count on him to do that? If you do, the second thing you'll do is to claim that promise for yourself. You'll make it yours. You will accept what God offers. You claim it. A lot of people don't like the word claim, but it's nevertheless the appropriate word. Appropriate is the same thing. But you make it yours. God said, I want you to have this, and you say, then I receive that. And the next thing you do is you confess it. You tell it. You say it. Because your faith always talks. Your mouth reveals to anybody, us or anybody else, what's in your heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. And if doubt and unbelief is in your heart, it'll come out. If there's revenge in your heart, it'll come out to somebody. If there's deceit in your heart, it'll come out. If faith is in your heart about something God said, it'll come out of your mouth. You'll say it. It's 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 13. I heard and therefore I spoke. And then the next thing you do, if you have faith, if you're going to live by faith, you find the promise, you, re, you take it, make it your own, you confess it, and then you act like it's true. If you don't act like it's true, you don't believe it. If there's no corresponding actions to what God said, then you really don't believe it. You may admire it. You may enjoy the messages about it. But if you don't do it, then you won't get it. You got to believe. See, the Bible says, he that believeth hath. The word believe, for you English majors, is a verb. It means it does something. It shows action. And any time the Bible says a man believes something, a man has something. At the end of John chapter 5, there's a verse that says, He that believeth in the Son of God hath eternal life. 
And he that believeth not hath not life. So if I believe, according to what I read in the Bible, if I believe what God says, then I have what God says. It may not look like it. It may not sound like it. It may not feel like it. But he didn't say your faith is based on how you feel or emotions. Your faith is based on what you believe in your heart. And so when your heart embraces something, you have it. Mark eleven twenty four. he said, what things ever you desire when you pray, believe. Believe is a possessive thing. If I believe, I have it. When I believe something, I'm not trying to get it anymore. I'm not trying to make it work anymore. If I believe it, I have it. We live like we have what we believe. Now, if you believe you're going to get sick, if you believe and you're going to come up wrong, if you believe in poverty, if you believe in whatever, whatever you comes out of your heart, if that's what you believe, that's the way you'll live. You'll act like that. And in spite of what you look like or how you sound with your voice or how you feel, if you believe what God said, you'll act like what God said. People get mad at you and they think you're nuts, but you'll act your faith. And last time we had two, two messages, and I want to just brief again what I ended with last week. I just want to say it again. Turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and verse 15. If you believe you have something, even though you don't see it, feel it, and so forth, you must endure everything, all the contradictions that comes against you, everything that tries to make you feel like you don't have it, all the things, the common sense things, you know, you can reason with yourself. Well, if God said, then why? If God, for example, if God is so good and so wonderful, as you Christians say, then why is the world full of squalor and violence and sickness and death and hate? Why is it like that? Well, because God gave every man a will to live by. And the choices that most people in this world make are things that are totally anti-Christ. They live like that. They'll be judged for it to be sure, but they'll be, you would have been judged like that too if God hadn't singled you out for salvation. I don't know what all of you believe about the word election. I don't know what you believe. I, you've taught and referred to it a lot. But election is the sovereign choice of God from the foundation of the world as to who would be his people. And, and I don't know if anybody in this room can escape the fact that you're here for a reason. You didn't just wander in here and thought you'd tried a while. God brought you here and has kept you here. And even though you struggle with some things, there's some connection that you have with the Lord. And even though maybe you haven't seen God or you haven't heard his voice, you believe he is. You act like he is. You live like he is. You get bothered by things that are not in harmony with him because you know that he doesn't approve of that. His word is finding its way into your hearts. You're thinking about it more and more. You deal with it. You're talking about it. Because God is, is doing a work in all of us, and he only does it by faith. But we endure. The reason we don't quit is something I can't let go. That's what the word endure is all about. It means to be steadfast. Jesus said, he that endures to the end shall be saved. Matthew 24, he that, or Luke 21, he that endures to the end shall be saved. That means from now until the end, we're going to have opposition in this life. There are all kinds of forces out there. We can't see them. They're called the powers of darkness. And their goal is to dethrone or get you off of this path or to depress you or make you give up and quit and back off. And the word endure or our word patience in the Bible, patience is just the opposite of that. It means I am going to remain steadfast no matter what. Bonnie had a Bible years ago, an encyclopedic reference Bible that gave a definition of patience as the ability to withstand trials without murmuring. I never forgot that. I thought that was good because we're so accustomed to go, oh boy, I'm going through it now. Oh boy, this is a big one. Oh man, you can't. I just felt so bad. I thought, oh man, I get. 
And we like to talk about that and murmur about that kind of stuff. And yet, what God wants is to count it all joy. You remember that in James 1? Count it all joy when you what? When you encounter divers' trials. You're going to encounter them. Something's going to do its very best to depress you, to get you to power down, especially when spiritual matters, mental pictures of you being threatened, losing your job, or or being persecuted or something, and, you know, back off a little bit. All kinds of things out there. Paul said we wrestle against that stuff. It's not flesh and blood that's our problem. It's It's the things that engage flesh and blood to make them act like that. It's the spirits of this world, the spirit of this world, and all the powers of darkness, the high places, the things that are trying to make you miserable in this life. And you're going to face them. And every day is not going to be a happy day in our life. We're not, everything isn't going to always go our way. We're going to be tested from the time we start till the time it's over. And we're going to prove and demonstrate by our endurance that we are believers because if you give up and you quit and you don't endure to the end I don't know what you look forward to but you don't have much and I'll tell you what we're living in an age that things are quiet right now spiritually on this earth in the church it is a quiet time God's still alive as he's watching it's kind of like okay you've heard a lot now it looks like I'm not doing anything now what are you going to are you going to get weary of well-doing are you going to begin to lose hearts and faint because you don't have any goosebumps or there's not a, some motive? What are you going to do? And what it'll come down to is, what do you believe? Do you, do you believe your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life? Do you really believe that there is such a book? Do you believe that only those names in that book will be saved? Do you believe one of those names in that book is yours? Do you believe that? Then the Bible said you will rejoice because of that. It said rejoice not that the devil is subject to you, that you put him in his place, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the greatest end of anything is to meet God, to be saved. To pay the price in this life now. Because what the devil does, in the Bible called the tempter, doesn't he come to tempt you to go a different direction than what God said? Well, those attacks, that's what we endure. Now, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 15, we said this, that there is a purpose for every man being here. God's great goal in saving you and leaving you on this earth was that through you, he would demonstrate his power and he would be glorified because he, by an act of his power, little by little through your lifetime, is going to do a work in you, which will bring you from where he saved you to the measure of the stature Of the very fullness of Christ. Can you imagine growing up into him in all things? Being like him? That his ways become your ways? That his faith becomes your faith? Can you imagine that at the end of this thing you stand before God without spot or wrinkle? Or any such thing. And you did it because when you latched on to the word of God. You wouldn't let go of it no matter what. Look at the empty seats you've known in your life. Of people that just didn't want to stay with it anymore. That's enough. Because you see. In growing up in him in all things. We become bearers of fruit. If we're fruitless. What do we offer God? If our life is not producing something. That is of God. If there's not evidence of the work of God in your life. Well, here's what he said. Luke 8 and verse 15. But that on the good ground, that's the sower and the seed, are they which in an honest and good heart, this is the difference, folks, in Christianity, measure yourself. Those who will keep the word 
are those who have an honest and a good heart. And they bring forth fruit with what? Patience. They bring forth fruit with patience. Now, let me ask you a question. Is patience required for fruitfulness? If we take the word endurance, which is what on 1A is, endurance or steadfastness or, or patience, then if I'm going at the end of my life, stand before God, bearing fruit unto God, didn't he say in John 15, 8, herein is my Father glorified that you do what? That you bear much fruit and that your fruit remain. Didn't he say that? Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Now, the only way, that, according to what Jesus said, then the, the way that you're going to bear fruit is by something called patience or endurance. It's like a season. Something is started and the devil tries to stop it, but you just hold fast and you won't let go. And God is able to give birth in your life to something that is of him. There are such things as fruits of the spirit. There's love, joy, peace, and so forth. We're not naturally like any of that. We can act like any of those things when it's convenient. We can act joyful when we're really miserable. We can act loving when we're really hateful. We can act thankful when we're really miserly. We can, we can act a lot of those ways, but it's not natural. But when it becomes natural, it's fruit. He deals with it. He teaches us this. And then he leads us into situations where we get to practice this. When it's not easy to, to be joyful when you're being persecuted, when you're being put down, when things aren't working well for you to rejoice in your trials and your misery. There are some who will. There's many who won't. But the fruit comes not always painlessly, but sometimes through pain. And that's the way fruit comes. Many are called, but only a few are seen, as he said, only a few are chosen. Now, would you just look over in Romans 5 for just a moment? Romans chapter 5. Let's keep it right now. James 1 says, count it all joy when you call it. Now, you stay in Romans 5, but James 1 says, count it all joy when you encounter diverse trials, knowing this. This is what you should know so you're not taken by it or surprised. Oh, no, by knowing this, that the testing of your faith worketh endurance. Patience. I brought patience because it's easier to spell. Patience. The testing of my faith is what causes me to have to go through this thing. It's a time element thing, sometimes short, sometimes long, but you, you are committed to a yes from God and you cannot give up. You can't throw your hand down and say, well, that's too long. I don't go. No, you're committed and you hold fast. Then he said in Luke eight and verse 15, they bring forth fruit with patience. So we got to have patience in order to have fruit. But in Romans chapter 5 and verse 3, he spoke about tribulation being required for patience. That if we're going to have patience, we, we, let's put tribulation here. T-R-I-B. Tribulation. Now, if we put this in logical sequence, we could come to this reasonable solution or reasonable answer. I must believe something in order to need to endure, but I must endure in order to bear fruit. Now, in order for me to bear fruit, there must be tribulation. If, 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 if patience is required for fruitfulness and tribulation is required for patience, then it stands to reason that many today are unfruitful because they will not endure. They're good members, they're church members, they, they know all the songs, they do all the other, the outward things right. But if you won't endure, if you won't hold fast to what God gave you to believe, then you don't bear fruit. 
And what will be the end of our lives after we pat each other on the back and give awards to each other in this life? What will happen to us in the end if we're fruitless? Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Well, it's a bigger subject than we probably ever dealt with. The subject of fruit is how we glorify God. Many are unfruitful because they're unwilling. They're just not willing to go through the things that people go through. They're embarrassed. Fear of losing something, maybe a fear of losing your health or a job or a mate. A fear of losing friends or prestige in the community. A fear of what people will think. There's a lot of reasons that people draw back, hold back, back up and back off. But the fact is, if any man will not endure testing, I don't care who he is or where he is, if any man will not endure testing, then he should not lead people because he will only reproduce in people what he himself has chosen to do. And you and I both know that in a lot of religious settings, churches, established traditional churches, they have set the limits as to how far they're going to go with things. I mean, when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit or tongues, no. And you can show that in the Bible. If you can show it, they can't always see it. You can talk about holidays and taking the oath and a lot of things that your faith says, I cannot do this or I cannot do that. And a lot of folks say, well, if we started living like that, what would people say? Well, what indeed would people say? They would probably say a lot. But what's the alternative to turning back? And it doesn't get easy. Jeremiah, you don't have to turn to this. You've heard it before. Jeremiah 12 and verse 5, he says, If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, how will you contend with horses? He said, what you're going through now is nothing compared to what you're going to go through. We're in a quiet time right now. We're in sort of a down time right now, a time of learning. God has given us time like there's never been time to learn. None of us are so busy, not a one of you are so busy that you don't have time now to get as much of this as you want. And you can lay it aside as something you don't need any more of or you can pursue it. You can take it as a work of God that you have questions that you can't answer. There's things that you think, well, what about this or what about that? Sometimes God speaks to you like that, so you'll go home and turn something off or leave something alone and go find out for yourself. Why indeed? God wants to show you something. You can't just wait till Sunday or Wednesday to get your answer to your questions. Sometimes it's in the closet. But, oh, you have to endure that. You have to go through all of that and have to put up with that and go that way and stand fast like that. Oh, Lord. He said, if you've run with the footman and you can't handle what you're going through now, you won't be able to make it when the hard stuff comes. See, patience perfects Christian character. The kind of person you are now is not the kind of person God wants at the end. You may be growing. You may have made some great strides from 10 years ago to right now, that's, and that's good. But God wants you to become, become the kind of person the kind of person that is, that is growing and strong and peaceful. The kind of person who's going to reign with, with Christ. Would you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2? See, the condition upon which believers are going to be allowed to reign with Christ is endurance. Patience. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. Let me say it again now. The condition upon which believers will be allowed to reign with Christ is here. Look at this. Verse 12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Is that what it says in, in, in the King James Bible? Now, I want to point out the word suffer in verse 12 is the same word as endure in verse 10. The word we've been talking about for patience, same word. Let's put the word in, endure in verse 12 so it'll say the same thing as verse 10. Anybody can suffer. You can suffer by just being rude. 
I mean, you can suffer and, and oh boy, I'm going through it this time. I'm really going. That doesn't mean you're doing something right. It just means you're suffering. But you put the word endure there, that changes what it says. He said, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. Well, if you turn it around, it says what? If we do not endure, we shall not reign. And we all have heard the fact that when Christ returns, he's returning with his saints. When Jesus comes back to this earth, he's bringing us with him. Now, he comes back not on this earth, but in the air to get his people. That's another sermon, isn't it? And they're caught up to meet him in the air. The ones he calls. And they are taken. We don't know where. But they are with him because he said, I will come again and receive you to myself. I'll take you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. And then when he comes back on this earth to set up and establish his kingdom, he's bringing you with him because we shall reign and rule with him. Who gets to reign? Church members. I got baptized twice. Well, that ought to help you get do some good reigning if you've been baptized twice. Been kicked out of the church three times, but you've been baptized twice. Look at what it said. Let me read it again. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. And if you deny him, then he will also deny you. Is that fair? We have no right to say it's not fair. So what we've said so far is this. You come to the Lord. You come to him as he begins opening your eyes. You realize that the only proper right way to live is on his terms. That's called righteousness. Right, his right ways become your ways. And his right way means that you trust him. You, take, you make application of whatever he said into your life so that his ways become your ways. And as you begin to do things his way, he begins to do a work in you to bring you from where you were to where you're going to be. Remember the graph we drew last week? You went from pig iron to stainless steel. Remember that? Now, the question is, what do we endure? Specifically, are there specific things that we endure? He that endures to the end. If we endure, we shall reign with him. Each one of these deserves a whole meeting or two. Each one of these eight different things can deserve a whole meeting. But let me just mention them to you, and then we can deal with them at some other time as the Lord leads. Number one, some specific things in Scripture that says we must endure, first of all, is hardness. Hardness. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. Thou, therefore, that's the ones that Timothy was talking to in the church. He'd like saying, you, you all sitting out here tonight, you who listen or watch. He said, thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? Well, verse four, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. Let me read another translation. A soldier in active service avoids entangling himself in the everyday affairs of life so that he may please his commander. Those are military words. The word submit is a military word. Hupotasso, it means to rank under. He used military terms here, which everybody would understand. We're soldiers of the cross. That is, the fight that we fight, the war that we're involved in is a spiritual thing. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We can't see them, but we believe they're there. We see what they're doing. We feel what they're doing, so we fight back. And you know what? If you want to maintain your victory and your military might spiritually then you've got to stay away from stuff that will entangle you because the word entangle himself has to do with, with being entangled or braided in. It's like something woven in and, and mixed. And you get involved in some of these things that keep you from having a keen mind spiritually. 
So, I mean, he just said a, a man who fights, a man who wars, a man who is a soldier in Christ does not allow himself to get entangled in the affairs of this life. Christians are very busy with the affairs of this life. We are so very concerned and busy with the affairs of this life. And many times it's the affairs of this life. Routines. Things that you say, oh, you dismiss yourself from it being a necessary thing to deal with or get rid of. We just put up with it. It makes us worry, fret, get angry, gossip, be revengeful. Just the affairs of this life. We listen to it. We listen to certain things that we probably doesn't, we don't need much of that. Next thing you know, we start acting like that and talking like that. You need to undo yourself. Listen to me, all of us. We need to undo ourselves from anything that begins to weigh on our minds. Things that's holding us back. Things that make us do things that we shouldn't do. Say things we shouldn't say. Go places we shouldn't go. I don't care what kind of job you got. I don't care what, it, what your job in, involves. You cannot war the good war. You cannot really fight the good fight of faith if you allow hindrances to come in and attack you. The second thing that we in, in, endure in 2 Thessalonians, if you go back two books to the left, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, is tribulation. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is necessary, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. You're not trying to cop out, get out of it, find another way out of it. You're staying with it. You're staying with it. You won't give up and you won't quit. He said that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Paul was talking about all the things that he had to go through, the hardships, the shipwreck, the fastings, and the weariness, the things that he was sharing with them that, that he had to endure just to do the work of an apostle. It wasn't always convenient. It wasn't always easy. Whether it was being shipwrecked or being stoned or lowered down in a basket at night to flee a city. And people would look at him maybe and say, man, I don't know if I want to go through that. And he said, no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves know that we are appointed therein too. Do you see that? We can't escape it in this life. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it had come to pass and you know about it. We suffer tribulation. Let me tell you something. In Acts 14, you can find it later on in verse 22. The end of that verse says, we must, we must do what? Much tribulation. Pray for our brothers. Or, or does it say enter the kingdom? Then are you going to tell me that God's way, that God's designed ordained way for all of us who say, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go, that if you want to make it, you'll have to walk through tribulational times on this earth? Isn't that why most people quit? Isn't that why when you announce to people that this life is not easy, that you're going to have to face this and you're not allowed to give up or turn back, that they say, oh, I don't know about all that. Well, what do you know? What do you know? You don't know all about that. Well, you got to know something because something is laying on your mind saying that you, either you can't do that, you don't have to do that, or nobody can do that, or I'm afraid to do that. I'm afraid to walk this way. I'm afraid what will happen to me. What if I, what if I, what if I? You've got no options. we got no other choice. We shoulder our load, and he never lets it be bigger than we are. And we face up to the problems. We don't show them our back. We face up. 
And with trust in God that he will bring us through, we walk forward. And the people who give up really don't want to trust the Lord because they're not sure that he will do what he said, so they draw back. And I know it's true, and you know it's true. We may not like to hear that. We may not want to hear that, but we know it's true. No man will have an excuse at the end of his life or her life when you stand before God as to why we did not do things his way. Me, you, anybody else. I don't know that anybody is quite perfect in the way they do all of this. Some people are going to struggle and get through there at the very, they'll be 30-fold maybe. But I'd rather be 100-fold. Or just a doorkeeper in the house of God, so forth. But tribulation. Another thing, you go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, a third thing tonight that you must endure of all things. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. Of all things, this is in the Bible, for the time will come, it must be now, that they will not or men will not endure what? Sound, that's, word sound means healthy and wholesome. Something that's got health and vibrancy to it. Time will come. As time goes down through history, wherever it started, as it reaches its end, when it comes to the end, just before it's all done and all over. The Bible says at the end, when man ought to be strong after all these years of learning and all the material that's given to us and opportunities and time and electronic advantages that we have. He said, when you get to the end, in that time, he said, this will come that men will not endure sound doctrine. Now, see, being a teacher, I say, why not? Why? If I were teaching tonight and we were just a few of us in a room where we could talk back and forth, why would they not endure sound doctrine? Why? I mean, if it's sound, how do you know if it's sound? It's in the Word. We, first of all, make sure that what we're hearing is, is in the Bible and not subject to, well, that's what you think. No, no. It's not a private interpretation thing. It's what the Bible says. This is the way we're going to walk in it. Now, if that's what the Bible says, and it's sound, isn't it? Doctrine means teaching, the instruction, that which makes you foundationally strong. Doctrine, you got to have it. Got to have doctrine. Somebody has to give us more than a story a week. You can read the Bible every week before a sermon and tell a story that will not amount to doctrine. That's religion. Doctrine is not tasty. It's not fun. Most people, Christians, don't have an appetite to be taught. They don't like to be, go to church and hear somebody teach for an hour or so. They don't like that because somehow our concept of church, of church or a church meeting or religious gathering, it has to do with me going somewhere that everybody's glad that I'm there and making sure that I'm happy when I leave. And yet God brings his people together to instruct us and teach us. Blessed are those thou teachest out of thy law for they shall and so forth. But Sound doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. What if we'd said that teaching on avoiding holidays would be sound doctrine? What if we told you that teaching about the gifts of the Spirit would be sound doctrine? Then why would, or, or, or not taking the oath, or not pledging allegiance or your devotion to a flag. How could you do that and be devoted to Christ? You can't serve two masters. I live here and I'm thankful for my country, but my allegiance is to God. And if my country tells me to do something that my conscience will not let me do, then I'll suffer at the hands of the country, but I will not deny the Lord. It's a choice you made to live like that. 
And yet most people will say, oh, no, if the country said to do it, then we got to do it. Well, you can if you want to, but I'm going to do what God says. Doctrine labels us. If you're a doctrinal person, you're labeled. You're legalistic for one thing. You're uh, legalistic. What's the other words? Hard-headed, difficult, unsuitable for fellowship or something. Because you're legalistic. You know why? Because you're doctrine. If somebody says something that is totally off the wall, you might say, well, the scripture says. No, who wants to hear that? If you went down to the hangout, it used to be a place called the country time, the good old boys in there. What if you were sitting around one day in deer season and somebody got talking about, boy, I'll tell you what, Halloween's going to be good this year. Are you going Hamilton? What if you said, I don't even believe in Halloween. I believe that's the devil's holiday. What would make you believe that? Because what the Bible says. Where does the Bible say that? You really want to know? No. No, I'd rather, have, I'd rather have my goblins than you keep your Bible. Of course you would. If your preacher talked like that on Sunday morning, you'd probably get him fired. We're set in our ways. I mean, it, religionists are. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear what God has to say. Sound doctrine is what turns our lives from what we were into what he wants. Follow me for just a moment. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy 1, verse 10. Talk about who the law was made for. He mentions whoremongers for them to defile themselves with mankind. Oh, how out of touch this Bible is today. How politically wrong that would be that defile themselves with mankind. Hmm. For men stealers, for liars, uh-oh. For perjured persons, uh-oh. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So you see, sound doctrine isn't always about the attributes of God or the atonement. Sometimes it's about how we live. The way of life. Things you do, things you don't do. It's part of sound doctrine. Paul told uh, Timothy that if you put the people in memory of these things, you'll be a good minister nourished in sound doctrine. That's what teaching is all about, is to show people the right way so they will avoid the wrong way. Put your finger here because we're going to come back to 2 Timothy. Go all the way to the back. 2 John, verse 9. Whoever transgresseth, that's the word for sin. Whoever transgresseth, and by this, I mean, he abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. What does it say? Does it say he hath not God? And then, see, you, you ought to ask the question, what do you mean by the doctrines of Christ? Well, it'd be a good study. Whatever Christ taught was doctrine. All of his commandments were doctrine. Didn't he say before he left the world, he said, go ye into all the world and teach them all, make disciples of it, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have said to you. Would all things he said be doctrine? It would because they all apply, they, all of his words and all of his commandments apply to some aspect of our life. Everything. That's why we're devoted, if, if we're Christians, we are devoted to doing things God's way. To hearing what God has to say and, and praying that we'll have the courage as well as the grace to do these things. Go back to 2 Timothy. Remember in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the outbreathing of the Holy Spirit, and is profitable. What's it profitable for? Let me ask you a question. We love to ask questions. Is doctrine profitable? Does it do good? Does it make better? How does it do that? See, you ask yourself questions. That's how you learn. It does good because when I, when I say, how does it make me better? I learned that if I do things God's way, I'll have to quit doing things my way. Now, if I have the courage and the willingness to do it, I will trust God, his way, and I'll let go of my way. Therefore, he increases, I decreases. A fourth thing that we endure is 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
and verse 5. And some of these run together. I mean, they're referring to the same thing. We have different words. But 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. But watch thou in all things endure what? Afflictions. And he's not talking about the flu and all kinds of maladies of that sort. I think the word affliction probably could refer to that. But what he's talking about are, are attacks of the enemy, suffering evil. Or in one verse, like in, in, in chapter 2 and verse 3, suffering hardship. Does that mean that if we're Christians and we're going to walk in this world with the name of Christ and live the way he's teaching us that we're going to be afflicted or somehow suffer hardship for it? Do you believe that somebody in this world who is controlled by the powers of darkness is going to make it hard on you if they can? Why? They hate what you do. They hate how you live. You're a reminder of them of what is right, and they hate it. They do what they can to get you to quit, give up, or get rid of you. Jesus said in, in one of the churches in Philadelphia, they're going to kill some of you. But you endure to the end. You hold fast. He said, you'll get a crown of life. Amen. But affliction, suffering evil. You take care of yourself. You, you be cautious. You watch thou in all things. Because in this life, you will suffer. In fact, the Bible says all that live godly in, this, in the fifth one, persecution, 2 Timothy 3. Second Tim, look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 11 and 12. Persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at, I, at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me, and he will you also. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer persecution. They can't get around this, folks. And yet, truth be known, amongst us in here tonight, us, me and you, we don't suffer much in America, do we? But we can be very complacent in America and not say much either. Because we all know that very religious person out there who people talk about, because they live it. They don't back off from it. They don't talk about Rush Limbaugh or the or the Colts or the Giants, they just talk about Jesus. They're so dull to be around, they don't know, we don't know anything about anything but Jesus. And we whisper about them, and I'm glad I ain't like that, and I wouldn't want to be like that. And what if God is pleased with people whose whole life is devoted to just talking about Jesus? Wouldn't be anything wrong with that, would there? Persecutions. Persecutions. Jesus said about the sower and the seed as the reason why people quit. He described one kind of soil as those who have no root in themselves. Remember that? Around the stones, they have no root in themselves. But they came to church, man, they were here for a while, quite a while. That doesn't mean they learned anything. That doesn't mean they applied what was taught. It doesn't mean that 20 years later they were 20 years stronger. They heard 20 years of teaching. It doesn't mean they applied it. They could have and they should have, but, but he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by, he is offended. This is what we endure. We can't let go. Let me give you another one. Go back, put your finger there because we're going to come back to Timothy. Most everything is in Timothy and Thessalonians. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. I'm sure you've all heard this one too. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try you as though something strange has happened to you. Is it going to happen? Trials, fiery trials, the things we don't like. As though something strange has happened to you, he said, but rejoice. Rejoice in as much as you are partaker of Christ's sufferings. Is he behind this? Is Jesus behind this? 
Is there a divine arrangement leading you into trouble? Who led Jesus out to face the devil? The spirit, when he was tested, it was the spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested and thus proven in the testing. Well, think it not strange if we're led also into fiery situations that ooh, we kind of dread once we get there. He said, but rejoice, verse 13, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. Verse, listen at this now, verse 14, this is what he's talking about. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Don't suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other people's matter. Yet if any man suffers as a Christian, don't be ashamed of that. But glorify God. Judgment is coming. It'll begin at the house of God. He'll start with us. But rejoice, he said, rejoice. Number six, in Hebrews chapter 12, you'll have to go there this time. Hebrews 12 talks about in verse three, as we look at Jesus, he said, consider Jesus. All right, we will. Hebrews 12 and verse 3, for consider him that endured, there's our word, endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. What is contradiction of sinners referring to? Well, the contradiction of sinners has to do with, with controversy, reproach, strife, it's just, it's just the things that come your way, usually by people, people who oppose you, who oppose what you believe. They're out there. You may not have run into very many of them, but trust me, they are out there. Those who want to deter you and make you look like a fool. If, if you go to college, you'll probably run into some professors like that. I don't have a big high regard for university life anymore in colleges. I've known too many young people, and I know it doesn't happen to everybody. I know that. But I, I've been too many of them have gone into university and uh, got so snared and stuff there, they never got away from it. They, they don't come back anymore. I don't know if it's just heady stuff or if, or if it's a spirit. I remember my daughter called me once she was in college telling me that she had a professor that was really a heathen. So how's that? Well, he told us the first day of class that the Bible was a myth and that if anybody thought it wasn't, he would tell them right in the class and how he would debate them and all of that kind of stuff. And she said, he's really a heathen. And I'm thinking, why would I want to pay whatever you pay for go to school today for my child to have to listen to that? What kind of an education is it that's so vital to me that I have to listen and be maybe influenced by that kind of trash? Of course, here I am many years away from it. And when I was in college, I was a, I was a heathen myself. But there's nothing there that I need. I'd rather go to a trade school somewhere than I would to have to listen to that and get involved in all the who knows what else at night. I remember taking my daughter to school and my son to school once, dropping them off at the dorm as late at night. And there's a guy sitting out front. Two o'clock, one o'clock in the morning, sitting out there just yapping and talking. And, of course, I'm thinking, you know, as an old fogey, what are you even doing here? Why are you in school? You're not here to learn. You're here to just take some time off from something. It's the government's probably paying for it. Didn't cost him anything. If it doesn't cost you anything, you're just going to wear it out. Amen. Well, see, now, just saying stuff like that sets you up for all kinds of Stuff that people would say against you. But it's the sinners of this world, folks, that are going to oppose you. You'll be around them. You can't avoid them. God will make sure you're around them. You're going to be put to the test. What are you going to think about this? What are you going to say about that? You reckon Jesus was around them? Where in the Bible do we ever read that he found favor with a lot of crowds of, of those religious people? They gathered against him all the time. 
I read this in one of the commentaries that concerning Jesus, he said, no opposition of sinners ever turned him from the way which he regarded as right. No ridicule ever caused him to abandon any of his plans. No argument or expression of scorn ever caused him for a moment to deviate from his course. That's what we're to learn. He went into the garden. He began shedding his blood in the garden. He shed his blood all the way to the cross. It was a bloody trip, I'm sure, from where he started that cross until he, where he went to Golgotha. Weakest, spitting on, beating on him, kicking him as he went by, throwing dirt on him, whatever scorn you could throw at him. They opposed him every day where he went, ah, this guy, talking about him all the time. But he never gave up his course, never sought the favor of man or the approval of a corrupt society. His face was set like flint on the kingdom of God to do the Father's will. And because he did that, I'm here tonight with you. I'm glad he never turned back. I know he endured great suffering. But we look at him and we say, lest you be wearied in verse 2, lest you become wearied and faint in your minds. Lest you get all tore up. It's so hard, I don't know that I can. Won't you consider Jesus? Consider Jesus. The sin that doth so easily beset any of us is weakness of giving up, turning back, of trying to convince ourselves, I'm not ready for this, I can't do this, this is too hard, I'm too old, too young, too slow, too far, too fast, too something. All these excuses. But we look at that and we say there isn't any excuses. For consider him, Jesus, who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Number seven is grief. Grief, G-R-I-E-F, grief. In 1 Peter, you don't have to go too far to the right to that, just a couple books, 1 Peter, chapter 2. Well, there's much here. There, there's, a, there's messages here. 19. Let me just read from 19 to the end of this chapter. For this is trustworthy, if a man or conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Now there's our word endure, and what you endure is grief. And it says it again, this is thankworthy. If a man, because of what's in his conscience, what he really believes and will not let go of towards God, he endures grief, he suffers wrongfully. What glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, it is acceptable to God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. And when, when he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who in his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. For you were as sheep going astray, but are now returning to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. That being true, I don't care what man says or what kind of grief what kind of agony you feel because of things that are going on in your life. Again, you look to Jesus. You realize that he went through worse than what you're going through. In fact, what we're going through is called light, momentary afflictions. And we're not to give up our trust in God because of what the devil's doing. Never, ever, and never. And finally, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 12, we'll close. Number eight, what we endure. And this could deserve a whole series, chastening. Chastening. Paideia. There's two words uh, about what disciplines us. The discipline of the word is one Greek word, disciplining, disciplining by act or deed, is this word, paideia. It's a word often used with the instruction of children. 
it's not just instruction with words, but it's also discipline of children when they get out of hand, when they don't do right. All effectual instruction for the sinful children of man includes and implies chastening. None of us have children that do not need to be chastened. Our children do not ever naturally trust God. They do not ever naturally just do good. But they naturally do bad. If you leave a child alone, it's like leaving a ripe apple on a tree. Beautiful apple. Tasty, juicy, full of everything that people who like apples would desire. You leave it set there for a while, what happens to it? It rots. It, be it becomes rotten. If we leave our children alone, if God leaves us alone, we become rotten. Knowing that as a principle, whomever the Lord draws out of those miry clay and brings to himself, back to that election thing, whoever God brings to himself and declares, this is mine, I am their God, they are my children. He makes sure that he chastens them because if he doesn't, we'll go, we'll go rotten. And he deals with us. He doesn't leave us alone. He follows us around. You heard what you heard last week, week before last, or last month, or last year. Some things you can't get off of your mind. It stays on your mind. Something God said. Maybe the preacher said it, but God said it louder in your life because it became personal when God said it. You begin to deal with this stuff and you begin thinking about it and, and you get, oh, God. It's a part of the chastening process. No chastening for the present seemed to be joyous, but what? Grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, the Bible said, it brings forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto those who are exercised thereby. What if people don't want to be chastened? What if they don't want to endure hardness or persecution or all these things we've been talking about tonight? What if they don't want to be turned around to do things God's way? What happens? They're rejected. As Jeremiah called Israel, rejected silver. You look like silver, you sound like silver, but you're not silver. Because you've never been refined. When the furnace was turned up, you took off. And what the furnace was for, you did not experience. And because you did not experience it, you're rejected. Shall it be any different with the church in the last days? Does not God lean on us because he loves us? That whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He scourges every son that he receives. You ever been to a woodshed, a holy woodshed? Well, I don't guess there are woodsheds anymore. Parents hundred years ago took you out there and whipped you. We didn't, my dad never did much of that. My mother, if she could, she could get hold of something she would. She'd whip you with anything she could grab. But God cares. God cares about how you act. Yeah, God cares about what you do. God makes sure you hear what he said. And then he never leaves that word alone in your heart because he wants that word to change you. And you start getting away from that word. Things don't work out for you. You go through this, you go through that. God's chastening you. God's dealing with you as sons. Because if he leaves you alone, you'll rot. You'll be rotten fruit. Wasted time. Worthless. Just another thing in this world that at some point in your life you look good. But, you know, you didn't see much to it and you turned away from God and God said, all right, you deny me. And listen to me. Now close this. When God leaves you alone, you're done. When God chooses no longer to deal with your life and, oh, God, when he quits dealing with you, it's over. Amen. But. Doesn't have to be because while you're here, while you can listen, while you can hear, there is hope for all of us. And the weakest one in this room, the one that's had the worst turn in your life, you can always repent when God gives you that and turn back to God and be restored to the fellowship with him and get, get back on the trail again. You can do that. Amen. Amen. Close your Bibles. I want you to bow your heads with me for a minute. 
Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, there isn't a heart in this room that you're not fully familiar with. If you know the hairs that are on the head, then you know all the thoughts and intentions of a man and a woman's heart. There is nothing in this room that is hidden. What we said today, last night, what we did today or last night or yesterday, any rude behavior we've had, you knew it, you saw it. Nothing is hidden. We are a people tonight, Lord, who do need to be corrected. We do need to be put in our place. We do need to have our eyes open to see not only how much you love us, but how much you care about us and how much you really don't want to judge us. I give you thanks tonight in Jesus' name for your goodness to us, for your kindness, for the grace you bestowed upon us as a church and as people. And I pray, Lord, that you will, as a father, continue to firmly hold our hands in yours. And no matter what happens, to see to it that we never wander off. As we hold our children's hands in the mall to make sure they don't get away from us, we ask you to do that for us as we live in this life, walk in this world. It is only fitting that we give you all the praise and all the glory for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.